Wake up, America, before it's too late. The Steve Day Show. And greetings. Happy Thursday. Welcome here to the Steve Day Show, live and on demand right here on Blaze TV radio and podcast. I am Steve Dace. He is Todd Erzin. He is Aaron McIntyre. We have a jam-packed show lined up for you today. Coming up at the bottom of the hour, we're going to talk about how truth changes everything. Next hour, we're going to make good on the make good that we owe our good friend, New York talk show host Shannon Joy for the technical snafu we had with her appearance that was scheduled for the Dace Group last week. We want to make sure she's got an opportunity uh, f- to be heard by you. If we didn't think she had stuff worthwhile to say, we wouldn't have booked her for the Dace Group. So we're going to talk to her next hour uh, so you can find out what she would have said on Friday if uh, the, uh, the technological differences had worked out for us. And then we'll close things out with Theology Thursday as we continue our latest book story or book series on that series. I'm all over the place here this morning. Book series on Theology Thursday. All right, let's get to it because uh, the, the midterms are coming up here in less than a week. Still time for you to get your ultimate guide to the midterms that we are making available for you right here at The Blaze. Go to theblaze.com slash election guide. That's theblaze.com slash election, election guide and get the free copy of Blaze Media's ultimate guide to the midterms delivered straight to your inbox, straight to your inbox at theblaze.com slash election guide. That is where you can sign up. So yesterday I spent a good deal of time walking you guys through just the internal metric and framework on how I come up with stuff and uh, where my analysis of this election comes from. And lo and behold, um, Trafalgar last night comes out with a poll that shows Colorado is basically tied after we spent a good deal of time talking about that state, which has hardly been discussed in this election cycle whatsoever and how I don't even know the names of the people that are, you know, the Republican gubernatorial and Senate candidates. I know the governor candidate now because she's tweeted me like seven times. So I appreciate that. I retweeted her. Um, but I, I didn't know the names of the candidates when I predicted the state would go red. Cause I was just looking at metrics, not at the candidates as a voter. You look at, you should, it's a little bit like sports betting when you're, when you're talking about whether your favorite team is going to win or not, look at teams. Or, you know, if you're going to watch a big game, you look at teams. When you're betting, though, don't look at teams. Look at numbers. Odds makers, um, they don't work every day in those massive Taj Mahals on the strip because they're in the prediction business. They're not. (laughs) That's too random. You can't make a lot of money doing that. They're in the numbers. They're in the odds making business. So don't look at teams, look at numbers. Similarly, when you're, when you're a voter, you look at candidates. When you are analyzing elections, you don't, you look at metrics. Because a lot of times, like what happened in Virginia last year, the environment overwhelms the situation or the candidate. Nobody knew really what a Glenn Youngkin was in like May or June of last year. Now he's a national name because he grabbed a surfboard, saw a wave, and unlike a lot of Republicans, because they hate their own base, he smartly decided, I'm going to ride this one all the way to the governor's mansion. And now it looks like he's going to run for president next year. And he should. He's got a narrative. Similarly, we have used a lot 
of spiritual imagery and language on this show when we have analyzed politics these days. And is it for effect, dramatic effect? Is it to show off our knowledge of that subject matter? Okay, we're guys. It might be that a little bit. Um, fair. Yeah. Yeah, we're guys. Um, is it, though, um, uh, rhetorical flourish, as Todd likes to describe it? No. It's, it's a sober understanding of the times. The voting in this country began about two weeks ago. The actual election is in five days. And we only have two major political parties in America, folks, and one of them is literally running on a platform willfully, willfully. They have chosen this as a platform. This is their message. Here's your choice. Vote for maintaining systemic child sacrifice and in exchange you get systemic societal collapse. You just get to kill your kids. I mean, at least, at least Malok offered you a harvest. I mean, he couldn't deliver, of course, because he was a fake god or demon, had no power. But at least that was at least an offer. Wasn't a real one. Or any of the other pagan deities of the past that you threw your babies into the volcano for or overboard for, right? They, there was at least the offer of something in exchange for that, right? Isn't that eating the bugs? Yes. Some form of a material gain in exchange for this offering. Nope. Now, the, the, the choice, the Democrats are willfully running on a platform of... Overlook complete and total systemic societal collapse in exchange for maintaining systemic child sacrifice. That is the platform they are running on. They chose it willfully. Look at the commercials they're running around the country. I've never met Zach Nunn, our GOP congressional nominee in this district. I don't know him at all. Never met him. All I know about him is he has some form of pro-life viewpoint because that is the only commercial his Democrat candidate or challenger, who is the incumbent congresswoman, Cindy Axney, has run in this, in this community for three months. Have you seen anything else from Cindy Axney other than he'll stop you from killing kids? Has she run another commercial on television in this community? I've not seen it. I would imagine this is being mirrored all over the country. So that's, you're not even being offered material gain. If you go down into the Valley of Ben-Hinnom and throw your babies into the fire to Malok, you'll get your wife pregnant. They're not even offering that. They're, they're literally saying, just completely overlook total societal collapse in exchange for systemic child sacrifice. Get nothing else in return other than you just can kill your kid whenever you want. Nothing else. No jobs, no welfare payout, nothing, no, nothing, nothing, nothing. They had to delete a tweet yesterday because <laughs> they got fact-checked on Elon Musk's Twitter for claiming that they were putting out the biggest Social Security dividends in history when it was strictly because this is the worst inflation in history and it's, an, it's, it's a lawful inflationary adjustment. The White House had to delete that tweet. Did you see that? Yes. They're offering nothing. 
They are literally running willfully. This is their message. They had all year and all the power to not run on this message, to not run on it, to come up with another message, to change the economic circumstances. Instead, they went with, put up with complete and total societal collapse. You can't walk the streets safely. You don't know if your kid will get turned into a fentanyl addict. You can't afford food for your kids. You're the Erzin family. You'd like to move. You couldn't buy a house now if you wanted to because it's 189% higher interest. We might have another Korean War and we're going to go to war in Ukraine. Place you can't find or name. But overlook all of that so that you can still kill your kid whenever you want. That's it. If that's not demonic, I don't know what is. I mean, if that, if that is not demonic, that's nihilism incarnate. If that's not demonic, I, I don't know what is. And that's why we use that language so often in our political analysis these days. Because that's what it is. And now here's Aaron's rundown of what happened while we were away. What happened while we were away, brought to you by Crunch Time. We'll get right down to it. Trafalgar has a new poll of the Colorado Senate race, and it finds something that would surprise you if you're not a listener to the Steve Day Show. Democrat Michael Bennett is clinging to a less than two-point lead in that race. Republican Joe O'Day was down by six points in the last Trafalgar poll taken in mid-September. That same Trafalgar poll of Colorado shows incumbent Democrat Governor Jared Polis up by seven points over Republican gubernatorial candidate. Candidate Heidi Ganahl. The September Trafalgar poll of Colorado had Paulus up by about that same margin. Another Trafalgar poll, this one of the New Hampshire Senate race, shows Republican Don Bolduc with a little over a one-point lead over Democrat Maggie Hassan. The newest Emerson poll of Wisconsin finds Senator Ron Johnson enjoying about a five-point lead over Democrat candidate Mandela Barnes, 51 to 46 percent. The Emerson poll also finds Republican Tim Michaels on top of incumbent Democrat Governor Tony Evers, 48 to 47 percent. Another Emerson poll, this one in North Carolina, finds Republican Ted Budd up by five points over Democrat Sherry Beasley, 51 to 46 percent. One more, Emerson has a new poll of the Pennsylvania Senate race, and it shows Mehmet Oz with a two-point advantage over John Fetterman, 48 to 46 percent. It's looking increasingly like an extinction-level event for Democrats in Florida, as Republicans have taken the lead in early voting statewide by six points. In Miami-Dade County, historically a Democrat stronghold but has been tilting to the right, Republicans now hold a slim lead in the early voting there. Headline at the Washington Post, Rand Paul, a fierce critic of the U.S. pandemic response, is in line to chair the Senate Health Panel if the GOP wins control. Checking in on Ohio, where Teachers Union Grand Poobah Randy Weingarten has been, I guess you call this campaigning? The party that wants to cut taxes for the rich and wants to cut the hard-earned benefits that, that, that Ohioans Roy Hobbs update. Here's the natural, the next governor of Arizona, Carrie Lake, answering yet another loaded question, this time from a CBS reporter. I don't know if you've seen this ad attacking you. Which one? Which one? Which one, Chris? The the, the mother of Brian Signet, the Capitol Police officer that died uh, the day after January 6th. She, in, in an attack ad, is saying that people like you specifically are responsible for her son's death. I'm curious... 
what you think when you hear that. What's her name? The mother of Brian Sicknick? Yeah. I think it's Cindy Sicknick. Cindy, I just want to say to Cindy Sicknick, I'm so sorry about the death of your son. It, it is tragic. I'm a, a mother myself, and that is, uh, it breaks my heart. That's a, that is a wound when you lose a child, no matter how old they are, that never heals. And so I don't want to disparage her. She doesn't know me. I wasn't anywhere near the Capitol on January 6th. And I understand that her son died, I think, the following day of a stroke or natural causes. And I, I feel for her, and I, I see the pain in her eyes. And I would never try to disparage or hurt her, because I know when a mother has pain like that, there's no way to heal that. And that's why I feel for these moms and dads who hit me up on the campaign trail, and they grab me. And you can spot them from across the room. There is a, a loss in their lives that can never be replaced. And we're losing thousands of young people. When they tell me they lost a son to fentanyl, when they lost a daughter to fentanyl poisoning, um, this is why we are pushing so hard to secure that border. In Maryland, this is the latest advertisement for Republican Attorney General candidate Michael Peruca. Look, folks, the CDC pretends and the government pretends they have the authority to do whatever they want with your children, to vaccinate them, to train them up in their way. They don't. Resist in every way you possibly can. And when I'm Attorney General, I will be your attorney and I will prosecute the people who promulgate these atrocities. By authority of Patriots for Michael Anthony Perutka, Lewis Reader, Treasurer. In Michigan, Hall of Fame football coach Tony Dungy, who was born in Jackson, has a message for the people of that state. On November 8th, voters in Michigan, my home state, will be voting on Proposal 3. I'm very concerned, even though I don't live there anymore, I'm very concerned that this proposal would severely limit parental rights and parental consent in how we raise our children. I hope you will read this very, very carefully, and I think if you do, you'll vote no on Proposal 3 on November 8th. Checking in on the White House, here's Corrine Jean-Pierre. He has been clear democracy is under assault, and we cannot pretend otherwise. The president will continue to call attention to the threat to, dem to democratic integrity and to public safety posed by those who deny the documented truth about election result and those who seek to undermine public faith in our system of government. And here's President Dementia. I stand here today, there are candidates running for every level of office in America, for governor, Congress, Attorney General, Secretary of State, who won't commit, they will not commit to accepting the results of election that they're running in. This is a path to chaos in America. That's right. Democracy is under attack. Trannies and gays hardest hit, according to MSNBC. Yeah, so voter ID laws disproportionately impact trans people because trans people are more likely to have IDs without the name uh, that they go by and the gender marker that reflects how they present. And, re and that's what happened while we were away. What the hell was that? Another day that ends in Y. What in the literal hell was that? The literal hell. Can you give me the composite of the voter in America who is going to vote on the basis of whether the bearded lady has an updated ID to vote with? It's why lives of TikTok exist, Steve. Hmm. Aaron's Montage, brought to you by our friends over at Bullion Max. This is why. 
smart people with prosperity have used hard, tangible, rare assets like gold and silver to protect their prosperity and wealth from, well, previous Let's Go Brandons and government debasement schemes all throughout human history. And it has stood the test of time as a hedge against inflation and debasement schemes like this. That's why Bullion Max wants to make it as simple as possible for you to get in on this. They have uh, offered now their silver starter kit at employee pricing. That's the most inexpensive they can possibly offer it. You get the same price that employees get on their uh, outstanding uh, silver starter kit, which includes the silver American Eagle coin and many more when you go to bullionmax.com slash Steve now. This offer is so good, they limit it to just one per household, so be warned about that. bullionmax.com slash Steve. That's bullionmax.com slash Steve. Coming up in the overtime today, I have a theory where Elon Musk is and Twitter is concerned. We will, I'll share it and then uh, let you guys and Blaze TV contributor Jill Savage will join us. Uh, and I'll let the three of you uh, have questions, comments, or insults in response. That is for Blaze TV subscribers later today at blazetv.com slash dace. That's blazetv.com slash dace. We will record it right after today's show, upload it for you there. And that's also where you can go. If you're not yet a Blaze TV subscriber, you want to become one and you want to watch, for example, next week's uh, post election special, all of the other exclusive content that we do each week right Right here on Blaze TV, blazetv.com slash dace. Let us go now to Aaron's montage as more and more numbers come in. And the latest early voting numbers in Florida, by the end of today, Republicans might end up with 54% of the early vote in Florida. I mean, I can't even quantify for you what that will mean other than as I said yesterday what takes us beyond a red tsunami a red wedding so let me share with you the conversation that Todd and I had about this before the show because I think as we is, is a, for years wanted to make you smarter consumers of election and political media so that you don't fall for the banana in the tailpipe never forget all of them Fox News for example is a horrible pollster Missed the 2020 election by five points. All of them, unless it's an outlet like this or the Daily Wire and a few others, all of your mainstream outlets, right or left, either hate you or want to control the Overton window that information gets to you through. They want to control you or they want to defeat you. Very few of them want you uh, unbridled fully aware of how the process works and your prominence within it to be a citizen yes they want you to be a subject yes yeah so with that in mind the florida early voting numbers mean one of two things and in both scenarios it means we'll wipe out for democrats wipe out absolute wipe out we're just finding out if the Lannisters are sending their regards, okay? Like, no one's alive at the end. No one. We're just, we're, we're just counting bodies at this point in both scenarios. In the second scenario, it is a red wedding. In the first scenario, it is a red tsunami. What is the first scenario? 
The first scenario is that Republicans are so energized that, a, that even a lot of people that probably would have voted Republican anyway went ahead and voted Republican early because they couldn't wait to lob their protest vote. And so instead of Republicans winning on election day by 10 or 12 points, which is what typically happens in a lot of places around the country, except for deep blue states, maybe they win by seven or eight because they cannibalized some of their own vote, right? That's what you and I were talking about yes. before the show started. Is, is that possible in Florida? You bet, you bet that's possible. And that's possible all over the country. This is why the Hispanic vote is so key in, in this analysis. Because that would provide you the opportunity for instead of a shift where you're cannibalizing some of your own vote, which is, by the way, still excellent result for you. It's just the people that were going to vote for you are voting earlier than they would have voted. Um, you get into a situation where you're expanding yourself or dynamic scoring because you've added an element that didn't exist before. It's not just existing people. And keep in mind, this is Florida is a state where, courtesy of Ron DeSantis, there's been over a 300,000 citizen swing from Democrats to Republicans in party identification. So even if we don't even get to the Hispanic vote yet, there's probably already some dynamic scoring in there because a lot of those people that switch from Democrat to Republican, at least some of them are probably used to voting as Democrats vote and they vote earlier, right? So there's, there's going to be some of that built in anyway. But could you, how do we know, though, you're not siphoning off voters that would have just voted for you on election day. Because keep in mind, in, in any other election cycle, Republicans winning statewide in Florida all over the place comprehensively, 54 to 46, would be considered a lopsided landslide mm-hmm. and, and, and such a renowned, notorious hanging chad of a swing state. So understand that we're sitting here. I think this is an important perspective. We are sitting here five days before the election and talking as if Republicans, if it was only just the early voting margin of eight points, 54 to 46, would, would, would just be, ah, meh. That's, guys, remember, in the last 40 years of presidential elections in Florida have been determined by an average of two and a half points. So statewide wins in Florida by Republicans of eight points are beyond significant anyway. And we're now at the point five days into this, we're talking, well, is that all it is? I just want to make sure we, mm-hmm. we realize what we're really saying here, okay? This is where we get in the Hispanic vote. And, for, and this is where, you, you, again, talk to people who do this on the ground and the nuts and bolts of it, right? Like if you're a minister in our audience, I was saying this to our small group last night, and, uh, and I'll, I'll, use this exact, I'll, I'll use this example. I, we know a lot of theology on this show as laymen. We're pretty learned, knowledgeable laymen. We are comfortable doing a segment on theology on this show once a week. We know enough to be dangerous and hold a serious conversation and not look like idiots, right? Yes. Okay. Go to, go, to, go to your wing. There's a lot more to being a priest, though, than just delivering the homily on a Sunday and talking about it. Oh, not only more, as important as the homily is, it, it's not the most important thing a priest does. It's a, there's a vocational training yes, aspect of yes. this, right? Similarly, there's a lot more to being an evangelical pastor than just the, the, the message. Mm-hmm. Now, on our side of the street, that's, that is the son of the solar system and everything else orbits around that. But the same dynamic applies. There is a vocational aspect. Can you run a ministry? 
You know what I'm saying? Can mm-hmm. you organize a church? Can you keep it together? Right? There's a vocational aspect that even if you theoretically know the subject matter, vocationally, are you trained or skilled to actually do that job? Mm-hmm. Okay? Similar, similar thing with politics. And, and we've talked about this where it's not easy to flip four, five, six points like people think they're just going to steal this with these kinds of margins. All right? If you're doing Hispanic voter outreach, like one of my best buddies is doing right now in a key battleground state, I told you guys before the show which one it is. I won't say on the air, but he's been out there for the last few months. When, when, you're, when you're out there priming that pump, when you've got a new sale, you don't want to wait for that sale to sign on, right? It's not, all right, let me, let me you know, work on flipping Hispanic voters, work on flipping Hispanic voters, and then let's just kind of hope they show up organically on the election day and deliver for us. And that's not how it works. I mean, as early voting is happening, it, it, it would, it's, you know, it's like an, an automobile salesman. You take it for a test drive. You find out, you get approved for the loan. You find out what the payment would be. And then the salesman's like, all right, you know, come back in a few days. Come back in a couple of weeks. It'll be here for you. That's not what a salesman does, right? No. No, he wants to, you're hot. Yeah. You're, 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 ready to, you're ready to go. He wants to consummate that relationship right now. That's how voter outreach works. You don't want to, you don't want to go into in neighborhoods and enclaves and subcultures that you're not familiar with and, and, and have to round people up the day of. You're using that early voting to your example, to your advantage. You're trying to get those new Hispanic voters that are like, you're right, man, that training stuff's terrible. We got to do something about it. And that's why you should vote GOP and here's an absentee ballot. That's how it works. There is a possibility. If we see the kinds of surges with Hispanic voters that are indicated in the data, that a lot of the early voting advantages you're seeing with Republicans is the addition of these, of these new Hispanic voters. Keep in mind, also, minority communities are used to voting this way. They're, they're used to being engaged by Democrats like this. And so if that's, if the second option, if it's the first option, we're at a red tsunami, okay? If it's the second option, if a whole new block of voters that don't typically vote with this level of capacity, frequency, and enthusiasm for Republicans are the ones that are creating these early voting margins. As the great prophet Keith Jackson once said, whoa, Nelly, all right? That's where we get into the Lannisters send their regards. That's where you get into a red wedding. That's where you wake up the morning after the 1948 presidential election trying to figure out how Harry Truman pulled this thing off when all the polls said he was toast, and you find out, oh, yeah, well, here's 40% of the black votes. We're all racist anyway, and we're not even polling blacks. You know, we think they're automatically going to vote Republican because of Lincoln. And so we just got totally blindsided that this huge migration of this population voted Democrat at this capacity for the first time ever and threw all of our metrics off. That's what you could be looking at with Hispanics. It's one of those two scenarios, Todd. I'm all in on all that. I do have a question on another matter, if I could address it with you very quickly as a quick hitter. Sure. We know who politicians are going into election, but four years ago, five years ago, we didn't know who Anthony Fauci is. Non-politicians who haven't had an impact on this election. 
Randy Weingarten, same thing. Mm -hmm. There's still a, a lot of people who don't know who she is, but a lot more than did four years ago. Mm -hmm. Is she as any one individual as uniquely responsible for the shift we're talking about as anybody else, including the likes of Fauci? That is an excellent question. And I, I am just blown away that they are bringing her out for yeah. the closing sale. You bring Randy Weingarten out to win your primary. All right. The, the uh, bringing Randy Weingarten out as a closing sale in an election, especially that version, which is more hysterical than ever. I mean, that's I want to talk about car analogies. Hey, and just to sweeten up the deal here, uh, I just want to show you this underneath the car there. Yeah, the exhaust is cracked. Yeah, a yeah. dead ferret is under your seat. I, I, I'm just, I, I don't even know what to say about that, except. Your earlier point. It's your original point. That about it's this. demonic. Yes. That they just have a cult message they have to deliver. Is there a possibility that they are concerned that there's going to be such anemic turnout from their own base that the Democrats who should not lose will? And so they're trying to hold that layer of their infrastructure together. That is possible. But if you're doing that, I don't know. Is that the is does that messaging signify any level of tactical reasoning, or is that just Khrushchev taking a shoe off at the podium mm. and banging it in your that's face? Because like. that's what it looked like. Yeah. Here's a quick question for you guys. Knowing now that Rand Paul is in line to run the Senate Health Committee, and oh, by the way, Ron Johnson's in line to run the subcommittee of that committee. Is it worth, that, given that, that that's is the it hardest worth, thing it, you've ever said? On this show. <laughs> is it worth voting for literally anybody with an R after their name to win the U.S. Senate, no matter who they are or what they stand for, in exchange for those two guys getting that power? Yeah. I'm as close to that as. I guess I can be my like Susan uh, Collins, Lisa Murkowski, that, that you, you would make that trade. Those two guys get that power. You're making that trade and voting for them. Cause I, I, I think I might actually, I, no, I, I, yeah. I think I might be in that place. Yes. Actually, Aaron, why not? That's about as close <laughs> as I can get. Because in my, cause in that case I, I can, I can justify it. Yeah. Maybe rationalize it. Then I'm really not voting for Lisa Murkowski or right, Susan right. Collins. This is my chance to vote for Rand Paul exactly. and Ron Johnson to run those committees. Right. Yeah. Or at least it's a justifiable rationalization to wrestle with. <laughs> we beat the Kobayashi Maru. All right. We'll come back with more in a moment. Our friends at My Patriot Supply want to make sure that you are ready just in case Let's Go Brandon hits the food supply like it is seemingly hit the supply of everything else. Get their three-month emergency food kit now. That is breakfast, lunch, dinner, even snacks and drinks. The full complement of 2,000-plus calories a day for you and everyone in your household for $250 off plus free shipping. These stay good for well over 20 years with proper storage. Comes uh, delivered uh, discreetly. Uh, it doesn't come in the mauve chartreuse glittered doom prepper van maybe you want that nowadays actually you're actually proud of it probably but just in case you're not it'll be delivered discreetly to your door and then you'll have peace of mind to know that should let's go brandon hit the food supply like it hit the baby food supply earlier this year you and your family are prepared go to mypatriotsupply.com 250 dollars off plus free shipping today at mypatriotsupply.com Name of the book, Truth Changes Everything, How People of Faith Can Transform the World in Times of Crisis. Dr. Jeff Myers is here with us. He is the author. He's also from Summit Ministries, which has been one of the leading worldview institutions, uh, biblical worldview institutions in the country for decades now. And uh, Dr. Myers, it's good to have you with us here on Blaze TV. How are you, man? Steve, I'm doing great. Thank you. 
the reason we wanted to talk to you is is really the very first line at the top of the back cover wording of your book. How Jesus followers of the past show us how to live boldly today. It has been, Jeff, it has been a long bone of contention of mine with, uh, with, with the evangelical church. And as my Catholic assistant and editor over here, uh, Todd, uh, will, will smile at what I'm about to say. But I don't believe tradition should be put on the same line with scriptures. If I did, I'd be Catholic, right? Okay, I don't. But I think what we have done in the evangelical church is we have jettisoned tradition pretty much all together. Almost as if there had, was like no history of the church before Luther nailed the 95 Theses to a door. And then a lot of evangelicals didn't even know the names of the reformers, have no idea where a lot of um, the, the things they take for granted within their own liturgies and ecclesiologies and theologies even come from. No examples at all. Like we had, the church had never confronted Islam until 9-11, right? I mean... There is no historical context here, and it's like we're just kind of making this up, proto-forming, terraforming Christian culture uh, and truth response in real time with these unique challenges that have never existed before. And the fact that you led with this in your back cover wording, I've long advocated there has to be a place for small t tradition within evangelicalism. What are your thoughts on that? Well, the small t tradition is based on big T, capital T, truth. And if you go back and look at what scripture says and how different people in history applied it, you realize they understood truth exists. It's not just a logical proposition. It's not just a mathematical formula. It's a person. It's Jesus. And when you apply that, it really doesn't matter whether you're Protestant, Catholic, uh, or you know any number of different denominations. If you can do that faithfully, you can have an impact. And the, Steve, the problem that you're mentioning is a really important one. If we jettison tradition, then we begin to believe that our crises are uniquely ours and nothing else that's ever happened in history can guide us in what we should do next. So that was the whole point of writing the book. I got more excited the more I wrote it. I was going through a battle with cancer at mm. the time and thinking, man, I could die. Is this the book I really want to spend my mm. last days writing? And I decided that it is because we can have hope just by looking back and realizing, man, people just like us change science, the arts, education, politics, justice, and everything else just by standing for that one simple thing that Jesus is the truth. I didn't know about the cancer diagnosis. Uh, what's the latest on that? I am now 13 months in remission from cancer. Awesome. But my passion for communicating truth is bigger than ever. And, it, you know, it leads to a fearlessness. And, and you're one of those guys. I admire the fearlessness that you display because you realize after a while, you know, I'm going to speak the truth. Look, today's today. This is what I've got. I'm going to speak up now. We are. And I appreciate that, brother. That's very kind. Thank you. Um, I have said on this program repeatedly we are living in a truthless culture that we're not even being asked to accept an alternative truth. And I'll just give you an example from just 20 minutes ago on this show. One of the two major political parties in America has willfully determined this year to run on a platform of accept systemic societal collapse in exchange for your ability to still practice systemic child sacrifice with like nothing in return. And at least when the, when the Israelites went into the valley of Ben-Hinnom to throw their babies into the fire, they were promised um, a harvest. 
they were promised fertility as you know every other pagan you know mythology of child sacrifice promised some form of material security or gain or wealth we're not even doing that we're just literally saying hey i mean you know 485 percent increase in inflation since january since december of 2020 just put up with it so you can kill your kid that is just freaking nihilism jeff that's not that's not paganism that's not an alternative view that's just straight up demonic nihilism that there is no truth other than whatever i want to do goes whatever i want to think goes there's no metric to check it the truth has like been chloroformed out of the society is that too strong in your view you know, I, I don't think it's too strong, Steve. I, I mean, the picture that comes into my mind is of a squirrel I saw that ran out in front of my, my Jeep and a car was coming the other direction and I was going this direction. The squirrel just froze. It just froze in the middle of the road. And that's, I think, what a lot of people are hoping will happen to Americans is that they will just be so overwhelmed with all of this denial of reality, all of this deception that they will just freeze and then the people who are in charge can do whatever they want. Listen, the point you're making is a really powerful one. And, you know, I don't come on the show to advocate for a certain political party, but I, I will tell you the position that the president has lined out on his views on transgender and on abortion is so extreme that in our polling, not 10 percent of Americans agree with him. And yet he's just decided to go with this. Mm. I think there seems to be this undermining of a sense of reality. And it didn't start with the president. It started in academia, if you can convince a children that they can look at boys and girls and there is no difference between them, you can convince them of anything. Throughout history, and, and believe me, man, I'm, I am not uh, a featured uh, guest on the Team GOP speaker circuit around the country by any stretch, okay? <laughs> um, but throughout history, um, the spirit of the age as Paul describes it, has always manifested itself politically from rulers naming themselves Baal Peor in the Old Testament, Lord Peor, uh, to my divine rights of kings, to Nero, I am a god, uh, worship me as such. There, there has never been an era, Jeff, where the spirit of the age has not manifested itself as political power. Why? Because in an earthly construct, once we don't recognize or reject the one true living God, the next most obvious show, now it's way down the list, but the next most obvious show of force according to our senses is politics, is government. And so it always manifests itself as this. And I, what I see happening in the church is that it doesn't recognize this because it because we're at a point now that one of the major political parties in America has decided to essentially, in my view, absorb itself as a demonic construct just out in the open. That's that's the nihilism that you're just describing, the undoing of reality. And 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 the church can't seem to figure out how to confront this without looking like, well, frankly, Robert Jeffress and a simp for the GOP shill. OK, and nobody wants to look like that. You know, um, and so it's just decided to just kind of preach a gospel, the gospel in a vacuum, as if like the kids down the street aren't getting teabagged and twerked by drag queens at the library. You know, it, we're just this. It's just a theoretical thing. It, it, at no point does it intersect with what's happening with the larger culture around us, because this because that that evil has become so obviously politicized that I don't know how to confront it without looking like I am a political shill myself. So I won't confront it at all. I'll just preach the gospel and we'll talk about these evils that existed in the past without applying them to what's going on around us right now 
Do you agree or disagree with that criticism? You know, I, I think I, one of my favorite stories that I told in the in the book, Truth Changes Everything, was of Samuel Rutherford. He was a Presbyterian pastor, and he stood up against the King of England. He wrote a book called Lex Rex, The Law is the King. Now, that was not a popular statement for Charles II. He did not like this. He was trying to gain control of England. So he sent his soldiers to arrest Samuel Rutherford. As they say, bring him back to Parliament, give him a fair trial, and then hang him. Uh, Samuel Rutherford died before the soldiers arrived. His final words were, I have been summoned by a higher authority. Hmm. But that that idea of Lex Rex is a uniquely biblical Christian construct. I would say even Old Testament biblical. In the Hebrew times, the Hebrews had a republic. It was not a theocracy. They had a represent, they had representatives, they had a court system, they had laws set up to protect women and children, protect the environment, protect justice, protect human rights. That's what our founders were looking at. They started with people like Rutherford and said, how do we develop a system where people can talk freely about these things, but they must all recognize the government does not give you your rights. Your rights are given to you by God. At best, the government can secure those rights. If Christians understood that simple thing, I think the whole dialogue would change. What is the sell point where our people have been taught and prepared that they have to tell Caesar no. Hmm. As every other generation of Christians yeah. has had to. This is going to be new to us. We're the first country ever yeah. founded or at least inspired to some degree by our beliefs, right? We've been the cultural minority in every other culture that the church has ever been planted until modern Western civilization pre, uh, you know, pre-Puritans or post-Puritans. But now this is going to look like what it's looked like throughout most of history. Are we willing to tell whether it, maybe it's not Domitian, maybe it's Joe Biden. No. Well, Steve, you're, yeah, your question hits me pretty hard because in the polling that we've done at Summit Ministries, we do tons of research to understand the cultural moment. We find this undercurrent of fear that perhaps two thirds of Americans are pretty well common sense conservatives, but half of them say, I don't say anything because I'm afraid of being canceled or losing my job. I am afraid of offending someone, or I just don't know what to say. As long as we remain in silence, I think that that threat will continue. What happened in history? People had to get to the place where they thought, I have got nothing left to lose. I am finally going to speak the truth. What stands out in your book I haven't asked you about that you want to make sure to stress for our audience, Dr. Myers? Steve, I think the, the whole point of True Changes Everything was to give people the courage to start having those conversations, to somehow break the silence. So I have a, I have a chapter in there that I kind of whimsically titled How to Speak the Truth and Be Nice at the Same Time. Nice is not a biblical virtue. Kindness is, gentleness is, but niceness is not. But people want to be nice, and so they don't ever speak of the truth. And so I give the strategies in there step by step on exactly how to do that, what questions to ask, what to do. If you run into somebody who is hostile, uh, how to communicate the urgency of something without overwhelming people with fear, all of those things step by step. 
if we as Americans can begin to do that, I, I don't think it's too late. I mean, we have passed the tipping point. No nation has ever gotten this far into its denial of reality mm -hmm. and survived without some kind of a revival of truth. But we can do this. Truth changes everything. How people of faith can transform the world in times of crisis from Dr. Jeff Myers at Summit Ministries. And uh, great to hear uh, about uh, your diagnosis and defeat of the big C there. And good to have you on the show and wish you well with the book, uh, Jeff. God bless you. Thanks, Steve. Appreciate it. Brought to you by our friends over at Preborn. They have been partnering with The Blaze to help save tens of thousands of babies from abortion. And uh, now they're coming on board our show as well to add even more to that number. And the reason we wanted to work with Preborn is they go the extra mile. Uh, they want to save the mama too. It's, it's not just that they show a mom the sonogram so that she hears the beat of her child's heart and is convicted that that is a life I can't go through with it. That's First of all, that would be powerful enough. But particularly in a post-Roe world now, we have the greatest ministry opportunity in front of us that we have had in the American church in a long time. And this is an opportunity now to directly build bridges with the next generation of mamas too. And that's what they do. Uh, baby clothes, diapers, car seats, counseling, uh, maternity needs, all of it free of charge. They love them both, both the baby they save and the mama of that child as well with preborn. If you want to help them out, they make it all free because of donations from people like us. Just dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby, pound 250 and the keyword baby, or go to preborn.com slash Steve. That's preborn.com slash Steve. Thoughts on our conversation with Dr. Jeff Myers? Well, that book is going to be a worthy read just on a couple points alone. Uh, the polling that they've done to show how afraid everybody is, even though your face says, be not afraid, addressing that head on and then talking about, as we have always talked about on this show, the confusion with uh, replacing uh, the gospel, even though you don't think you're replacing anything with being nice. Just on those two things alone, this is a worthwhile read. It's a fascinating uh, conversation with uh, Dr. Myers. And, you know, it, it sticks out to me uh, kind of the same thing that, that uh, Todd was just talking about there. One of the greatest lies that, um, especially, especially in this country, that anybody approaching what we would call as conservative Christian, that anyone, and I mean anyone, approaching this in the same echelon or Venn diagram circle, the big lie that has been sold and has been believed by far too many of us, and it's bearing the, the terrible bitter fruits that it is nowadays, is that we really don't have any power. Or that because we're in the minority, that's naturally a scary thing. That's just, that's one of the biggest lies. If anybody reading the Bible on, a, on a, even a weekly basis, you go to church on a weekly basis, or even twice a month, you read the Bible at all, any part of the Bible, and you believe that lie, that is, that is cognitive dissonance, almost on, the same, almost on the same plane as what we make fun of and chastise, yeah. rightfully so, on the other side. Mm -hmm. Who's God do, who, which God do we serve mm -hmm. at the end of the day? Which God do we serve? Based on what we see happening in our culture, and it's turning around slowly, but based on what I see in our country right now, 
The God that we serve is not the one that we read about in church. And maybe that's because at the church you go to, the, the guy that's being uh, preached about is not actually the real God either. But you get my, you catch my drift. Mm-hmm. Which God do we actually serve? Is it the one of the Bible? Is it that one that's, you know, undefeated? Or is it one of our own making that causes us to cower? Well said. We'll come back. Hour two will include Theology Thursday and a visit from our good friend Shannon Joy. Next, stay tuned. Back here with Hour 2, live and on demand on Blaze TV, radio, and podcast. I am Steve Dace. He's Todd Erzin. He's Aaron McIntyre. We'll be joined by our good friend Shannon Joy here in a moment. Let us know what you think about what we think via the SteveDace.com inbox. Take advantage of that by emailing the show, Steve at SteveDace.com. D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook, MeWe, Parlor and Gab. You can follow us at Steve Day Show on Twitter, on Getter, uh, also at, uh, where else? Instagram, TikTok. Uh, also find us over on Truth Social at Real Steve Dace. And then get clips of the show, free to watch and free of any censorship, when you head over to rumble.com slash Steve Day Show. Again, that's rumble.com slash Steve Day Show. Those of you that are podcast listeners, thank you so much for being one of those. In fact, right now, there's a lot of those. I mean, that's why we're about to sign a contract extension here at The Blaze. And uh, we appreciate each and every one of you. Please show your appreciation for us. If you have yet to do this, leave us a five-star review. Hit subscribe or follow. Uh, the more of you that do that, the more it helps our show to grow. And we just want to thank each and every one of you that has done one of those things for us, if not both of them already. This part of the show brought to you by our friends over at Tyga Coolers. It still is peak tailgate season and soon... No, forget that, man. It's Christmas season right now. In fact, I, I made a huge mistake yesterday, and I'm blaming you, Urson. Mm. All right? So I went out and bought a good holiday projector for the yard. No. And it came with slides of every holiday, 4th of July, like all of them. Mm-hmm. Okay? And, of course, we got rid of the Halloween one, all right? And because it was like 75 degrees yesterday... I I couldn't bring myself to mm. go ahead and put the Christmas one in. So I put the Thanksgiving one uh, in, and now there is just random animation of turkeys and uh, pumpkin pies rotating uh, on my garage at night as if this is like a thing, okay? Now, understand that this is coming from the guy that wrote a book um, called... Why Thanksgiving? Uh, but uh, And I love Thanksgiving. It's an event. It's a great day. But it's not a season. But you had me so psyched out that I couldn't bring myself to go ahead and put the Christmas stuff in there. Now that it's getting cooler again, I'm going home. I'm not having floating turkeys and pumpkin pies on my garage. All right? I'm going home. I'm putting the Christmas slides in. I don't care what you say. Well, you know what? I, there's a little balance to all of this. You went that direction. This morning, I found myself by myself in my kitchen humming christmas tunes my man so it has you know i think the the cosmos is taking care of us 
we've met in the middle. I like yes. that. I like that. So Tyga coolers can make for a great gift as well. Great corporate gift, great donor gift, phenomenal coolers. They customize them for you as well, as long as it doesn't violate a copyright law or it's nothing obscene. Uh, they're American made lifetime warranty from a pro American company. They're big fans of the blaze. So they're just like you. You can support that company and get one heck of a cooler with 10% off with the discount code Steve. When you go to tigacoolers.com. T-A-I-G-A, T-A-I-G-A, TigaCoolers.com, promo code Steve for 10% off. All right. She's going to get quite the make good here. Instead of sharing the stage, she gets an entire segment now. Our good friend Shannon Joy, New York talk show host, joins us now. We have to do a make good after what happened on Friday during the day group. We had some technological uh, di- difficulties. So Shannon, our apologies, and uh, we appreciate uh, your grace there. Thank you very much. Oh, hey, no problemo. In fact, I'm surprised you took responsibility for it. I would have blamed it on the Russians. I mean, that's what I do. When I have tech difficulties, I'm like, yeah. It's, it's, it's funny you should say that, though. Last week, my company email, steve at stevedace.com, got hacked. All right? The IT department here at The Blaze traced the hack back to guess where? No way. Uh, yes, the hack literally came from Russia. We finally found something the Russians successfully hacked. My email. <laughs> All right. So that did happen. Yes. In our segment. No, this is great. All right. Before we get to what we're going to talk about on the day group last week that you did not get to, that is still very pertinent this week, I have to ask this question. Are you going to be coming on this show sometime shortly thereafter the election? To rub my nose in it, to point out how wrong I was, that I should have listened to you all along, because I would really like that to happen, actually. I know. Okay? I know. So, but I, but as much as I would like it to happen, I am still male, and I don't like to be wrong, okay? Even if it's wrong about good stuff. So, <laughs> I just need to prepare myself for a potential uh, scourging and, and nose rubbing coming my way. Do you think that's coming my way based on what you are seeing on the ground there? Because I will tell you from what I am seeing from afar, I am beginning to believe I am going to have to suffer that, uh, that abuse. Steve, we'll all be winners. We'll all be winners if New York State goes red, if it is indeed what we are seeing in the polling, in the energy. So I'm not going to come and rub your face in it. Absolutely not. We're going to celebrate together because... It really is a victory. Really interesting. You're not going to come on here and say, have you thought about moving to New York, Steve? You're not going to do that? Because, I mean, I got to be honest with you. I would do all of that if it was me. I mean, I'd totally do it. Todd, would you do it? Oh, no, I'm just going to agree with what you just said about yourself. That's what you. <laughs> oh, OK. Yes. Yeah. Because I would absolutely be like, how you like me now? And uh, have you looked at New York real estate lately? I would do that. So you're a better person. Maybe it will. A little bit. A little bit. But they, it's it. it for me, it is, and you know me, I'm stubborn. I mean, it's not really that I'm doing this. I'm, I'm stubborn. I like where I live. It irritates me that I was rested, handcuffed, stuffed in the cop car. Like I've just got so much invested in all of this that even though I would like to pick up and move down South somewhere sunny or move over to, you know, the flyover country where things are sane, I'm just too stubborn to do it. I just, that's all it is. That's all it is. It irritates me. These people irritate me in New York. It's so corrupt and disgusting. And so 
I'm kind of like, you know, if I get the sense that the trains are warming up and it's getting pretty bad, I'll hightail it out of here with my family. But until then, I'm just going to I'm going to stay here and be a thorn in the side of the corrupt politicians and institutions in New York and do it as loudly as I possibly can until they pry my cold, dead hands from the microphone. <laughs> What's going on on the ground there that from afar we don't see? I'll, I'll, for example, I had a little birdie tell me about a week ago when when they told me I was underestimating that Zeldin could win. And he said there's a factor going on here that you would they're not going to broadcast or talk about. But there are Cuomo people openly organizing on the street for Zeldin. That there is a, a, a that he is still pretty popular with a certain wing of uh, Democrat that isn't fa- that isn't a fan of you know getting mugged everywhere on the street in New York, hates oh, yeah. Kathy Hochul, oh, and yeah. and and kind of thinks they could probably beat Lee Zeldin again in four years with him as emerging you know returning as uh, Julius Caesar basically mm-hmm. that are that are cynically working the ground underground for Lee Zeldin to get rid of her. Uh, out of spite. You buy any of that? I heard that about a week ago from a little birdie. I don't know, you yeah. know, the ground conditions like you do. I don't live there. But do you buy that that might be a hidden factor here? Absolutely. There are a lot of Democrats turning towards Zeldin. In fact, he's been endorsed by a few elected Democrats, you know, operatives in New York state very publicly. And the truth is a lot of Democrats feel safe with Lee Zeldin which tells you a little bit about Lee Zeldin here in New York State. It's really interesting. From my perspective, the story of New York State, if people don't, um, if you're you're not embedded in it, it really is a story of a uniparty. It is um, the Democrats who have had power in New York State for as long as I can remember since I was born in in New York. And the Republicans in a very comfortable uh, position as the so-called opposition party. They never won anything. But those in the infrastructure of the Republican Party enjoyed contracts and mm-hmm. and kickbacks and a very nice living and pensions. And so what we had was really the, the embodiment of a kabuki theater. I can tell you prior to Lee Zeldin five months ago, six months ago, the Republican Party was absolutely bankrupt in New York. Zero money. Not only did they have no money, they a lot of the party apparatus was heavily in debt. They couldn't get people to run the party. There was no organization. There was no operation. There was no vision. It was a carcass. And so what we're seeing in New York is not the GOP. It's not even really Lee Zeldin. Remember, he voted for the First Step Act. He was silent for the first year of the 2020 lockdowns. That was the Free the Criminals Act for people that don't remember what First Step Act was. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Right. Yeah. yeah, And he's campaigning on crime right on crime right now in New York, which is interesting. He is not a Ron DeSantis. He is not a Kerry Lake. He is a very vanilla, safe Republican candidate that Democrats feel very comfortable with. Mm -hmm. So. This the the energy behind Zeldin, and this is what people should be very excited about. And I'm going to tell you, 
I know it for a fact. I'm witnessing it with my own eyes. I know all of these people from Albany to Long Island to Syracuse to Buffalo to Rochester. This is a massive, sophisticated network of grassroots organizers across New York State that started really during Common Core, but really began to kick in three years ago after the lockdown. These organizations touch all different types. We saw this in the spring elections. We turned 40 seats in New York. Um, the school board elections, we flipped them. People might not think that's a lot, but when you understand the power of the union in New York and how corrupt both parties are, remember, the Republican Party in New York works actively against getting Republicans elected. So what you're seeing here is a volunteer organization of individuals across New York State dragging the carcass of the GOP across the finish line, if indeed that happens in six days. But I wouldn't discount fraud. And that's the reason I'm holding back a little bit, because you, I, I think we understand the nature of uh, how the Democrats will cheat and how the Republicans, again, the party is more invested in putting in people uh, that they can control than they are in actually winning. And so if they're not controlling, I think, you know, if they're not controlling the candidates, then they'll do everything they possibly can to sabotage whatever kind of victory we have. So the question is going to be how big is this movement <clears throat> and whether or not the GOP, either nationally or at a state level, is going to come in and mess things up. And then you have, obviously, the Democrats who will cheat. I mean, they'll cheat. They'll cheat in ways, it's such blatant ways that you can't even fathom it. So it's, it's up in the air, but you can't deny that the energy is here. And you can't deny that New Yorkers are suffering. And that's really what's driving a lot of this, in my opinion. One final thing on this. You sent me an ad yesterday, a political ad about vaccine injury and Kathy Hochul linking her to that. Was that ad from his campaign or is that being produced independent of his campaign in New York? That's an independent organization, and it's a perfect. Um, it, it exemplifies what I was just saying. Uh, we have been we have been asking these candidates, the congressional candidates, the Senate candidates, Lee Zeldin himself, to address vaccine injury, to address the vaccine mandates for public schools. The party will not do it. The consultants are telling them you can't talk about it, you can't say anything. In fact, we just had an issue with nursing homes closing down again in New York State. Our organizations went to the Zeldin campaign. We went to other group or other candidates and asked them to bring light to this. They refused to do so. So we have a lot of re re reluctant candidates, but but these outside organizations are putting this issue. I've never seen an I've never seen a campaign ad actually addressing vaccine injury ever. Mm -hmm. But it's very meaningful to parents in New York State because if there's a mandate, there is no religious exemption in New York, unlike the 48 other states across the United States of America. So if there's a mandate that affects every public, private, parochial, and potentially homeschoolers in New York, because the homeschoolers are controlled by the superintendent and the school districts. So it's much more meaningful to New York when we hear about the CDC approving the COVID-19 vaccine. That means that if Hochul is elected, we'll have, I mean, you'll have a mass exodus from New York if they mandate the, the COVID vaccines. And we could have kids thrown out of school as early as January of 2023. That's how much this means to people. So Zeldin couldn't be George Pataki because the party's moved too much to the right since then, or at least you couldn't be that out in the open. But he is sort of in, in, in a party that was moved right by Trump and DeSantis and maybe moved further right by the likes of a Carrie Lake in the future. He is sort of a, a, a 
Pataki-like figure. Is that what I hear you saying? To the right of what a Pataki would have been in the 90s, but that's because the party has moved to the right. But apparently, basically a bland, generic Republican, he is just the beneficiary here of what is going on underneath the surface. 100%. I know every rally that he held in New York State, at least in Western New York, um, none of that was was organized or put together or paid for by the GOP. It was it's all grassroots activists, 100 percent. And he's benefiting from that, which is good. The question is, after the election, if he's indeed elected, will those organizations be able to rein him in and keep him from pivoting again away from the issues that matter to us and uh, more in line with the issues that matter to the leadership, that kind of dark room you know, leadership of the GOP, the people who make all the decisions that we don't know um, and that, you know, handle a lot of the money. It, I mean, that's really what's happening. You have these candidates that we're, we're wrestling over them. Shannon, we'll get back to you in just a second. First, a word about our friends over at Omega XL. If you are struggling with uh, too much inflammation in your body and it's likely manifesting itself as chronic pain, that's lingering achiness, stiffness, soreness in your back, your knees, your neck, your hip, etc. Chances are that's from, unless you have a clinical condition, and if you do, make sure you're getting the proper treatment. But if that's not the case, chances are it's chronic, and that means too much inflammation in the body, and that's why you're looking for an all-natural inflammatory like the one I've been using for the last few years, and it works great. I take Omega XL with me wherever I go. Take it with me next week when I head down to Dallas to help with the Blazes election night coverage. Uh, You can right now buy one bottle, get a second one for free when you go to OmegaXL.com slash Steve. Again, head over to OmegaXL.com slash Steve, or you can just call them 1-800-844-4888. That's 800-844-4888. Fantastic product. All right, so Shannon, let's talk about a couple of things that were in the rundown last week on the Days Group when we just uh, had some technical snafus. Let's start with the 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 admission from Ben Shapiro, who, if he doesn't have the largest platform on the American right, he is certainly in the top three of largest platforms on the American right. The admission last week that essentially he'd been hoodwinked on the vaccine Uh, And this came after the admission from the Pfizer executive to the European Union Parliament that they never tested it on transmission at all. They knew all along it wasn't going to stop transmission. It wasn't even devised to do that, despite that would be the only impetus whatsoever to try to medically justify this level of imposing on bodily autonomy, right, is that you were going to spread a deadly contagion to other people if you didn't take this. They knew all along that it wasn't going to stop you from spreading it to other people, despite literally two years of claims to the contrary. Now, Ben, of course, has been a phenomenal asset on the right on a lot of issues, but really from COVID on, he has been at odds with a good portion of a lot of conservative activists on these issues, particularly with some testy exchanges when it came to the jab. Your overall thoughts on this admission, and in fact, let me just stop there. Your thoughts Mm. on Ben's admission in and of itself. So... I began to run into Ben Shapiro actually years before the shutdown, COVID-19 in 2020. Um, In New York State, as I mentioned in the last segment, we have been battling. We really are on the front lines with the vaccines in 2018. This was when at 3 a.m. in the morning, New York State Legislature clawed back the religious exemption. It threw 26,000 New York State students out of public, private, 
and parochial schools, including Christian schools in New York, because they had been going to school under religious or philosophical exemptions. And so we have been fighting for informed consent and vaccine safety and bodily autonomy for quite some time. And in that discussion, this was when, you know, very early on, Ben Shapiro has been a very loud and sometimes snarky uh, advocate for for the entire vaccine schedule and very, very dismissive of individuals on his side of the aisle who are are talking about vaccine safety and and, you know, freedom in terms of deciding for your children and yourself what goes into your body. So I wasn't surprised at all when he came out so forcefully for the COVID-19 vaccines. And here's the problem with Shapiro. And it's something that I can't quite figure out because he, you know, he prides himself or he's known for um, logical reasoning, right? You know, you walk yourself through a, a logical course of of reasoning and you come to a conclusion. The facts don't care about your feelings mm-hmm. is what he rests on. And as someone observing, you know, the the clear conflict of interest in terms of Pfizer, Moderna, these pharma corporations and the capture of the regulatory agencies in Washington, D.C., the immunity given to massive pharmaceutical corporations in the 1980s, the the massive increase of vaccines for children added to the childhood schedule, which is is just money into the pockets, the VAERS reporting, I mean, the fraud and the abuse, like you can't, from my perspective, Ben Shapiro is way too smart to, to not see this or be able to logically look at this and say, you know what, something has to go here. But he's been in, in a way that I can't quite understand. So it's not surprising to me that he is doubling down, tripling down, quadrupling down to the point where he calls his audience dopes if they don't get the COVID-19 vaccine. He uses his platform to promote this vaccine, which anyone with a brain in their, a brain cell functioning in their head would know that this has not been tested. It hasn't gone through long-term safety studies. And we knew all of that very early on. The mountains and mountains of data. I think what we saw with Ben Shapiro is actually a a major crack in the facade. It is that this genie's out of the bottle on vaccine injury and death, that you can't put it back into the bottle. And now you're going to begin to see, I think that was the first of probably multiple admissions that he's going to have to make. It would be nice if he would just step forward and say, listen, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I used this platform to encourage all of you to get a vaccine that is now dangerous. Notice in his admission, he hasn't even touched vaccine injury or death yet. He doesn't want to, but he's going to have to. They're all going to have to. And so I'm glad that he made the admission. He also made it about himself. He was lied to, right? You know, oh, poor Ben. Um, I don't feel sorry for him. I think that he did his audience a great disservice. I'm glad that he exists and he has all these other platforms and he does a lot of work for the the conservative movement. But on this issue, um, his voice, along with voices like Sean Hannity and other voices on Fox News, um, have served as a great detriment to the health of this country. And hopefully there will be a reckoning for that. Which brings us to the other big topic that we were going to discuss on Friday uh, if we were able to keep connected with you for the day's group, and that's Elon Musk now fully taking over Twitter. <laughs> Let, let's, let's say Elon Musk accomplishes 50%, just half of the hope that some people have in what it means for a guy who's got the ultimate amount of FU money and claims to be a free speech advocate. Let's say he at least can, he delivers just 50% of that. 
that would greatly expand the Overton window on topics like what you were just discussing. How much are a lot of people, even on the right, who maybe have not heard about this or listen to host or read websites, you know, although I don't know how many that is because, I mean, there was the Zogby poll earlier this year that pointed out far more people know someone that has experienced a vaccine injury than has actually died of COVID, for example, right? Okay. Oh, yeah. But are there going to be a lot of people, even on the right, that are going to have to fully come to grips with what has transpired here if even if there's even just a skosh more free speech than what we have right now. That is what I find keeps me awake at night, (laughs) to be honest, because the scope of the human cost of what has happened over the past two and a half years is, is breathtaking. Right. And the reason that we haven't done business with it as a society yet is because of that lock grip that the federal government had on these social media institutions like Facebook and Twitter and also the mainstream news media. And so we, you experienced it, Steve, Daniel Horowitz, myself, Alex Berenson, Naomi Wolf, so many people who were deplatformed. I mean, it was unlike anything I've ever seen. So now with, you know, even though if you, you might trust Elon Musk or you might not, I don't, I tend to think that billionaires are fickle and unpredictable. And so the idea that, that Elon Musk is now, you know, holds the fate of free speech in his hands makes me a little bit nervous, but indeed Twitter is the venue. It's, it's, this is where the battle over free speech and the the ability for Americans to a- access information is being waged. It just, you know, and so this is why it's, you know, it's moving from hand to hand and there's all of this chaos and people are looking at Elon now who might be backing away a little bit from his promises to, you know, he has his new board of, of censors and they're all like kind of lefty. Um, but regardless, it's still shaking things up. That's the thing. Like, and when you shake things up, it allows truth to kind of filter through. And, and once you see this, you can't unsee it. That's what I've seen with people who are red pilled lately and people who come to it's, it's like they resisted, resisted, resisted. And then there was something that just broke the camel's back. And then they see it's like the scales, it's biblical, really the scales fall from their eyes and they're like, Holy crap, what just happened? So that's what makes me nervous because We are in the midst of the awakening, but that necessarily means that those who want to keep this status quo in place are going to get even more and more vicious. It's when you back them into a corner, you know, a vicious animal, that's when they get the most dangerous. And so that's always kind of in the back of my mind, especially leading up to these elections, because the elections are an indication of an awakening. As you see Democrats cross over to vote Republican, they might not quite comprehend it yet why they're feeling this way. Mm -hmm. But it's just all of these events from the economy to housing to vaccine injury and death to looming, you know, prospects of more lockdowns and masking. Everything looks bleak to people. And that's forcing them into looking at the truth, which many of us don't want to. Listen, I was there 10 years ago. I didn't want to really see the truth. We've all been here. This is a process. But I think that Elon and Twitter, Twitter is where it's all happening. It just so happens to be this is where you have people from both sides commingling. 
and connecting with each other in a way that you don't have at any other platform. And so it's going to be interesting to watch, but scary too. Great stuff, Shannon. Glad we were able to catch up with you and get your thoughts on some of these events. And um, I'm hoping you'll get to rub my nose in it here in, uh, in a matter of days. Let's do it. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Take care. Bye. Gentlemen, your thoughts on our conversation with Shannon. You know, I, and I hope Shannon can still uh, hear this. One of the things, uh, they were running jokes on the show is why I want to run for Congress someday. I just want to see like how the the spirits turn normal human beings into zombies, how that sausage gets made. But one of the reasons I would like to be president of the United States someday, all the regulars on our show, uh, the Horowitzes, the Shannons, I would like to just make a phone call to Shannon. Which department do you want to run and just say wipe them out, all of them, because it would be something to watch. The, you, you want to pop the popcorn? Give a department in the federal government to Shannon Joy. And just let her go. Aaron? I'm edging towards the place that she is regarding Elon Musk. I was more optimistic even this time last week. I'm not really sure what has changed with Elon Musk other than, I don't know, he might just not be the badass tough guy that we thought he was. Now, he played this entire, he played this entire transaction like four-dimensional chess. Twitter was screwed no matter what. It was screwed no, no matter what. Uh, he played four-dimensional chess. But now that he's actually got the power here and he's realizing, oh, this is maybe a little bit more complicated than I thought it was, it seems like he's going weak in the knees. I don't want to talk too much about this because that's what we're going to be talking yeah, about in the I've, overtime. But that's I, where I'm, I'm kind of I definitely have an alternative view to that. Yeah, I don't think that's what's happening, actually. Now, that, that I think that could be what ends up happening. No, it's we'll get, possible. We'll get into this in the overtime, but I, I don't think that's what's happening. No, do I. Neither. You don't either? Okay. Um, one thing I did not ask Shannon about is obviously you have a large Hispanic population in New York as well. I mean, you were you were telling me during the last break, Colin Cowherd, the sports, yeah, yeah. The syndicated sports guy I from Fox. Yeah, too. Like I don't, I, have, I don't, I'm, I have. First of all, I think he's one of the. Technically, it's been many years since I've had a chance to listen to him regularly. I used to listen to him regularly. He was on ESPN. Technically, he's one of the best radio hosts I've ever heard. I mean, his ability to tease, set up segments, things of that nature, regardless of whether you think he's a good personality, he has smart sports takes. Just technically, as a broadcaster. I mean, you could teach a class on how he structures and teases and coordinates and flows a radio program. You could teach a class on it. It's really good. But I don't have a clue what his politics are. And you were telling me that he was basically saying, hey, this, yep. is, this is what happens when you mess with people's kids. Yep. That's what's the coming. The red wave is coming. Literally, yeah. that's what he said. Yeah. Interesting. All right. We'll come back. Theology Thursday is next. Stay tuned. here on the Steve Day Show, and if you are going ahead because you have an extra an extra dose of courage, and you're like, you know, actually, in, in times like these, there, there might actually be good deals out there. Well, if that's you, if you are wading into the loan market, 
more important than ever to make sure you check out our friends over at ScoreMaster. Every point counts in making sure not just approval, but uh, the best interest rates, the best repayment options and terms. ScoreMaster.com will help you to get there. They'll show you exactly why you have the credit score you have. And then they'll help uh, plot a course if you decide to sign up for how to get to exactly the score that you want. Our family used ScoreMaster last year uh, to get our refi in before Let's Go Brandon hit the interest market. And it worked like a charm for us to get an obscenely low interest rate in our refi. That's why we know it'll work for you as well. Takes just minutes to get started. Who knows? You might find out you can add 60 to 100 points to your credit score in as as little as three weeks. All right. So get the seven-day trial today waiting for you. The seven-day trial waiting for you today at scoremaster.com slash Steve. That's scoremaster.com slash Steve. Let's continue now and conclude today's show with Theology Thursday. We are on the third and final book of our three-book book study this year, looking at the spirit of the age from a theological perspective, and we're closing it out by looking at what the spirit of the age does to an economy. We're using this book, Thank God for Bitcoin, The Creation, Corruption, and Redemption of Money. Why are we using this book? Well, I'm probably not in a mood, frankly, at the moment, having lost 50% of my January investment into Bitcoin already. I'm probably not in the mood to go straight up Bitcoin pimp. Okay? So if you were all worried that this is just me trying to sell you Bitcoin like Amway, right now, that ain't me. All right. But what I love about this book is it does bring up larger questions about economic policy, fiscal policy, monetary policy, um, and, 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 and a lot of the things that this book talks about, and it was written just a few years ago, a lot of things this book talks about are exactly what is happening in our economy right now, which is why a lot of people that are associated with Bitcoin and, and other forms of cryptocurrency view them not as investments, but as statements of belief, state, you know, manifestations of values, of worldview to build a parallel or alternative economy. This week, gentlemen, we're looking at chapter two, the history of money. Where would you guys like to begin? Well, I'm just going to basically give you my experience reading this chapter mm-hmm. uh, and let you react to it. Because okay. as you know, and I've said on the show before, and I think that actually plays a role into like why you... Maybe you guys enjoy um, sports betting, and I don't like monetary policy. Has always bored me. I've just got no appetite thinking about it. I don't enjoy it. Uh, But this uh, this chapter did a really good job in a really short period of time, condensing that in a way that even somebody me would like me would find interesting Mm -hmm. the thing about monetary policy i like is that it is not an island unto itself when you learn about adam smith you realize he was a moral philosopher Mm -hmm. and this was an extension of that Mm -hmm. and as i've told you on the show before uh the greek word economia where it's where we get economy from the root that that means household this our economy is supposed to be as you talk about the gospel is for people it's not an abstraction the same with an economy it is for people and so how we define a household mothers fathers children this is fundamental so and i bring that up because it's the only way you're going to make sense of when i get it was not until the final paragraph which is three lines long in this book where all i said it did a really good job breaking down the notions of what 
the gold standard and things like that. Mm -hmm. Again, things like that would gloss me over. It was, even if I didn't have this last paragraph, it would have been as good a job as you could to make you interested and understand something. And then to me, it was an explosion. The very last paragraph that sums all that up. Since breaking the peg to gold in 1971, so our money no longer being attached to, to something a, a, tangible, a, yes. whether it be gold, silver, whatever, mm -hmm. in 1970, it explains why that happened, how that happened. It gets you there, so you get that. Since breaking its peg to gold in 1971, the U.S. dollar has lost over 96% of its relative value. This is due to one of the disastrous effects of the prevailing financial system, inflation, which is going to go on to talk about another week. 96%. To me, when you talk about economies are for families, when that happens, and if it's intentional, like I think is at the very least being implied by the authors of this book, the notion of a family and a household can't help but be altered. You keep doing that whether you want to or not be part of a two-income uh, household. And uh, my uh, my wife, as long as we've been married and has children, ha has always uh, worked. But even if you want to have the option of not working, you this this is guaranteeing that you almost need to be at an elite level status sooner or later. I, I just thought the moral implications of how they beautifully set up made you understand something that a lot of people don't they think is amoral it's it's money it doesn't this is as moral and i i remember asking before we started this i just went so what do you think and see why exactly are we doing this uh you just basically gave me a trust me i was like cool that for me mm -hmm. that when i just read to you it just exploded on me this is if the rest of the book is as good as how they laid out this chapter uh, this this show is in for a treat. One of the one of the first controversies I ever got involved in. You, you'll probably remember this when when I made the switch here locally from sports to news talk, and it was right after the I'd gotten the job right after the 2006 election cycle, and Democrats had a tremendous election cycle that year, and it was the first time post Civil War that they had been in complete control of the state of Iowa. And so they immediately wanted to enact uh, a bunch of policies that would undermine the right to work law and would be beneficial to their union base. And one of them that I actually supported on the show was called prevailing wage. And the notion is that non-union and union bidders on jobs have to offer the same wage that you can't get outbid by cheaper wages for a lower bid in a non-union job. Now, I think it is a terrible policy for government to enforce a wage. Because then how do I know what you're actually worth? We, we don't really know. It's not tied to anything tangible other than just raw political power. We're, we're perpetuating a system of imagination, like what you were just describing, right? Like detasseling ourselves from gold. So why was I for this? Well, because Republicans in the, in the Republican Party that existed when I took over on HO, and then we largely routed in primaries and activism around the state, were essentially nothing other than subsidy collectors. And, and the reality was 
all they did was just guarantee that big ag got a certain amount of subsidies and we were one of the oldest states in the country and so we got the right amount of medicare disbursement and really didn't stand for like anything else and and they were really good about making sure that government didn't do payouts to their corporate buddies but they got government incentives and goodies that a small business or family business would not get access to, 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 to grow their business and to maintain their dominance in a certain industry that wouldn't allow that family or small business to succeed because that was their political payoff. And we called it economic development. And so my stance was, well, if we're going to do that, if we're going to, if we're going to, if we're going to give a, you know, we're going to do all kinds of construction projects and everything else we really don't need. Remember there was a big debate. Grassley wanted to spend tens of millions of dollars on an indoor rainforest in Cedar yeah, Rapids yeah, at yeah. the time. You remember all this? Oh yeah. And so my position is we're going to do, we're going to create all these inflationary constructs that have, that there's no market for that devalue our money and everything else. Well, if we're going to do that, then we, then we have to then do for, then everybody gets a cut then either no, either we have a capitalistic system or we don't. We're not going to pretend we have a capitalistic system when then and then it is. But my guys get to screw that system and your guys don't. We're not going to do that. So if, if this is the game, if this is who the Republican Party is, then you bet your ass the little guy gets his cut, too. And if you're, if you're going to create business, a business climate where they can't compete with your big donor buddies because of the, the, the goodies you're giving them, then 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 the little guy will get his cut by well making sure that everybody's paid an actual wage of your fake money that matters now. Did I think that that was good policy? No. But I was making a moral calculation mm-hmm. here. To do this one way or the other isn't capitalism. It's corporatism. At worst, it might even be robber baronism. And the Sabbath was made for man, not yes. man for the Sabbath. Capitalism is not an aspirational philosophy. Most human philosophies aren't. Meaning most human philosophies don't make us better than our base nature. The best human philosophies recognize our base nature and then incentivize us almost against our own will at times to do better than that. And that's what makes capitalism successful. It recognizes people won't work for nothing. They won't, they won't innovate. They won't create. They won't risk for nothing. For altruistic means, they won't do it because we're not basically good. They must be incentivized with something that they want in order to get them to do something society or humanity needs. It's not the other way around. But if we're going to just say, when my guys win, they get to rape, pillage, and plunder the treasury, and when your guys win, they get to do it, that's not capitalism. Mm -mm. And so if that's the economic system, and it largely is in America then at that point, my loyalty is to families and what's best for them. Not to a a Milton Friedman book I read that I really like and I think is really right on the money, but Milton Friedman is an economist. He's not Augustine. You see what I'm trying to do? There's a hierarchy of values here. He's not a pope. He's not Billy Graham. He's a weather forecaster, a really good one, but he's not a change agent. He's, he's reacting to the realities of human nature. And this is the thing that, that more than anything else, because this gets into immigration and everything else. Yeah, that's that, where I was going to go. That Trump's wing that he, ha- that he has brought to prominence on the right 
has 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 created this is where the bill crystals and the cato institutes have all but abandoned the republican party is over this the idea that you were made to be slave to a system not that the system was right. was supposed to be a servant to you that's the difference so you they go through the the, the, the five properties of money, divisible, mm-hmm. portable, durable, recognizable. That's and great scarce. stuff in this chapter, yeah. by the way. Yes. Great stuff. And Buy the whole book for just this just segment, that. if nothing else. Yeah. yeah. You start jacking, and this was what stood out. That was my big picture from the entire chapter. You start jacking with any one of those, and it's really tough to put the genie back in the bottle. Mm-hmm. It's really tough to do that. Imagine, if you will, you mess with any one of those at a personal level. Let's uh, let's say that uh, I come into your house, Steve, and I, um, I I rip apart every single dollar bill that you have, or somehow destroy your m- money, or make it important. If I do this at a at, at a small level or at a very personal level, it's tough to it's tough to put that back together. Yet this is done at a macro level with the same effect, and we frog in the boiling pot. I want to go back to what you were talking about, though, uh, Todd. If you look up immigration, illegal immigration statistics and apprehensions, what year did the gold standard end? 1971, under Nixon. It's almost like, if you look at a chart since that time, it's almost like, on your mark, get set, go. Mm -hmm. 70s, it really started to pick up. 80s, it really, really started to pick up, and then... Uh, all hell breaks loose in terms of do we have a border? What is it uh, in, in the 90s? And of course, now that we're in the 2020s, it's just at its worst levels ever. Because when you debase your money, when you don't tie it to something of real value, like gold, all of a sudden, everyone's money loses value. If you are picking oranges or if you have a crop that you need to grow, but it requires physical labor, all of a sudden, there's no market for your product because the money, what you need to charge in order to pay your workers, there's no market for that because people are not going to pay that level of money because the money is worth less now. So you need to find cheaper labor. And uh, boy, howdy, do we have some cheaper labor for Mm -hmm. you here? And when it comes to goods and services... Uh, a manufacturing plant says, I cannot pay my people a living wage. I can't get work here because uh, I can't make what they expect for the price that they expect it for. So they ship their, their, their jobs off to another country where there is labor that will work for a, a lower wage. This absolutely has everything to do with immigration and, quite frankly, globalism. And a lot of it, quite frankly, as well, has to do with complete and utter selfishness on the part of big corporations that began in the 80s and 90s just there is no higher value than making money Mm -hmm. and of course they have their cronies in government to help them along with that and that's a big that's a big part of where we are today amen amen and that's that spills over to everything like when we have a pandemic and they just decide yeah we're going to go ahead and just let you die. You're a number. You're a number. We'll let you die until our experimental jabs are ready. Uh, you can die, and then you can die after they're ready because they're uh, experimental and poison. So we'll deny you safe, effective medications, et cetera. All of this stems from every instinct that Aaron just articulated.
That's why we've partnered with our friends over at Jace Medical. Who knows what the next venerable medication they'll suddenly tell you is dangerous and you can't have might be. Last time it was a Nobel Prize winning drug. Next time it might be penicillin. It might be doxycycline. Get the five course antibiotic uh, from our friends at Jace Medical so that you have you're prepared uh, with medications for the next pandemic, the next let's go brandoning, uh, the next uh, eats is a bugs eating uh, where they just don't care about you. You're dispensable to them. Uh, get prepared right now. JaceMedical.com. J as in Jeff. J-A-S-E is how it is spelled. JaceMedical.com and enter the code DACE10 for 10% off. That's the code DACE10 for 10% off at JaceMedical.com. That's where you want to go. What we just articulated to you was a hierarchy of values. All three of us here are capitalists to some degree. We are grateful for it. But I wasn't created in the image of capitalism. I was created in the image of God. The love of money is the root of all forms of evil. And when we act as if capitalism is at the top of the hierarchy of needs and values, we end up with the kind of soulless technocratic society that Aaron just described. And a lot of you are feeling that. And that's one of the reasons why we're going to have what we're going to have on Tuesday. Until the next time, John 317. This is Steve Dace. On the Blaze Radio Network.